Ripple Puddle. Welcome to Ripple Puddle. Welcome to Ripple Puddle. Rip, 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 oh. Ripple Puddle. Ripple Puddle. Mili Freeland with Mili Fnerj Nirtsu Vizia Minkel Fosser Nafriva. When you were a kid, your parents probably told you not to talk to strangers. Somewhere along the line, you were deprogrammed of that, perhaps on instinct, realizing the subtle fact that everyone you know, your closest friends, your lovers, were once people you knew nothing about. I'm Carla Taylor. Stephanie Hafer is taking some time off to complete previous projects in Detroit. Have you ever found yourself looking into the eyes of a stranger and feeling that familiar feeling? Is it deja vu, or do strangers perhaps become friends because fragments of them remind us of fragments of people we've loved before? The stories you're about to hear deal with the strangeness of strangers, the unknown mystery of what they signify, why they come into our lives, what we learn about ourselves, whether through altruism or curiosity. Ready to eavesdrop in? When yes, I lived in Colorado, I would always drive back like east every summer. Exactly. I was still in Houston at this time, and I was uh, 18 years old, and I was waiting tables at a place called Billy Blues, which was like this blues restaurant with a big saxophone outside. And it was, uh, so inside you had like a blues area uh, separated by garages where uh, bands would come and play. And then you had the restaurant, which we served barbecue and all that kind of stuff. And it was completely dead this this night. And this group of people came in. And there was probably about 15 people. And they all sat in this table inside the, the blues portion, which there was no band at the moment. I was the only person there to do some cocktailing. I just got them shots and drinks and maybe three or four rounds. There were so many people that the guy asked for the check and I, I think the check was 200 something bucks. The guy was looking at the check for a while. I had already run his card and he's sitting there with the tip empty and he says, hey, how much tip should I put in here? And I go, you know, I, I can't tell you what to put in there. If you think I gave you good service, then, you know, give me 20%. I mean, good tip is 15 to 20%. He's like, okay. And so I go back to doing what I'm doing and then he calls me over there again and I go over there you know, I, I, I just I just really enjoyed um, your service and I'd like to know what I can do. Like, how much should I put down here? And I go, look, I, I can't tell you what to do with your money, but I mean, you can put as much as you want in there. Really, I don't care. Hoping that he puts like $5,000 or something. I go back to doing what I'm doing. He eventually, he comes up to me at the computer because I think he didn't want to sound weird around the rest of his friends. He says, look, I really think that you gave us excellent service. I really like to compensate you. Is there anything that I can do? And I go, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. And it was a little creepy, but I was like so curious about this guy. So he goes, what about your shoes? And I look down and I have these tennis shoes that I bought at like Academy and they've got barbecue sauce all over them. <laughs> and I'm like, what about him? He goes, well, how much do you want for your shoes? For my shoes? And he's like, yeah, how much do you want for your shoes? I go, I don't know. Like, how about, I don't know, make me an offer. He goes, well, how about $300? And I go, $300? Yeah, you can buy them for 300 bucks. And I was thinking in my head, what the hell? Why does this guy 
want to buy my barbecue stained shoes. I mean, they stink. I mean, they're gross, right? So I go, if you don't mind me asking, what do you do? He goes, I'm an accountant for Shell Oil. You're an accountant and this is the way you spend your money? And he handed me his card and he goes, yes. And if there's anything else you'd like to sell, let me know. And I thought, man, this is crazy. So I went to the back. I put my shoes in a uh, in a paper sack and I'm walking around with my socks. <laughs> And then, like I said, it was a dead night. So I'm like, what the hell? Who cares? I put the I put the shoes in the bag and I bring it to him. And no, nobody knows in his party what, what else is going on. Like, they don't know that he just bought my shoes. They're all getting up to leave and everything. And I, and I meet him with that bag. And he goes, thank you so much. Oh, and then he put like another 300 bucks in the tip amount. So I made like 600 bucks that night on one table, which was fucking amazing. So I was like, man, I'm set. I went home that night, you know, and this thing is going through my head. I'm like, what the hell is like just happened, right? I went home and I had that card and I, th- I started looking around, <laughs> started looking around the room like, what the hell else could I sell this guy? Because I'm like, shit, I got a ton of shoes, you know? I'll sell you every pair of shoes I have for about $500. <laughs> I'll just smell them up real good, put some barbecue sauce, whatever you want. I'll do it. The next day, I bought the same exact shoes on sale for half price. (laughs) It's like 30 bucks. So I sold them the shoes because I was like, this will at least be a good story I can tell. One thing that I've really struggled with is this concept of death. Death is something that, you know, we're all going to face. All the bone marrow transplants in the world, all the tissue engineering that I hope to do in the future, as many technologies as we we can make, we're never going to be able to avoid death. I was at a random religious service at the Interfaith Chapel on campus. As I was leaving the service, there was a place to just swab your cheek. Two years later, you're matched with a patient. Do you want to donate bone marrow? And it still hadn't hit me. I still don't think I understood the magnitude of the whole process, but I was just like, yeah, okay. So from there, went to the normal logistical processes of bone marrow donation, which is confirmatory typing. And then when I was all set to go, I was told that I would have to do the actual bone marrow extraction versus the blood stem cell extraction. And because the process is a little bit more involved, I was flunked in New York City. I got $60 a day. Then we woke up at five in the morning and met this really cool guy who works for Gift of Life, which is the organization. Wonder anesthesia, woke up, and that was pretty much it. As the anesthesia started to wear off, the pain definitely kicked in. I like what looked at the pain medication, but then time kind of froze and I sort of let everything settle in and it hit me right then. My blood is floating around this random guy. I was just laying in that bed and just imagined miles away there was there was someone else who I didn't know, but knew that soon enough he'd just be laying in bed too. It was this really empowering thought. It sort of motivated me to just keep on going to the point today where now I work for Gift of Life. They have these really cool relays where they get a bunch of support in one area for bone marrow donations and they have donors and recipients come and it's this big walk and there's always a donor recipient reveal. So I think there's something really magical about acknowledging that there is this thing that ties us all together. We all have the same machines, the same biological mechanisms that we're using to process all of this. And we all do that in different ways. The random people and the random things that happen in Peru. Because when I tell my friends the stories that happened to me in Peru when, when I was a kid or whatever, they think it's just like, it's things just happen out of nowhere all the time. Borderline dangerous situations. And somehow we're always at home the next day or whatever, just always at home, like having a beer, laughing about it. Like something that was almost terrible. <laughs> I'm on the street. I don't know where I was coming back from, but I was going back to uh, the apartment we were staying at. I get off my bus, 
I, I, I took a cigarette out of my pocket and I see a guy sitting, he's like standing, like leaning on this, um, on this wall that's behind me. And I see this big tattoo on his leg. It's a, it's a tattoo of a guy on a skateboard. I think, but I've seen that tattoo before because I have a bunch of friends uh, growing up who were longboarders, skateboards and whatever. I remember, I do know this guy. So I go to him and say, how's it going? Hola. And he just looks at me, he's, his eyes are totally red. He remembered who I was. He didn't see me very personally because, uh, very much, because um, I, I didn't skateboard because I was a guitarist and I didn't want to, I had broken my wrist at one point, so I decided to stop skateboarding and all that. He just, he wasn't doing very well. He's, he was obviously stoned off his ass. I had just broken up with his girlfriend. He said he wanted to see us. He said, come by to my house tonight. I want you guys to come by. He especially asked to see my friend Nico and Russell. So I called Nico and Russell and we go to his house that night. So Fico and Russell go like through some sketchy adventure and get weed. And me, me, me and Nico are still at the house, just, you know, hanging out. While, while they're gone, we're looking at all the stuff he has in his house. He's the first longboard in Lima, which is, if you think about it, because there's all these mountains, it's crazy dangerous too, because there's all these potholes. He has like millions of bongs and just like, like all this weed paraphernalia and like all drug paraphernalia, like razor blades and all this weird shit. One thing that comes to mind is, why does this guy have such a nice apartment? And then he gets he gets home, and I'm asking him about it, and he's like, oh, well, it's it's inheritance. I was asking him, so inheritance, but like, what, what did your parents do? He says, well, his mom apparently was a, uh, a tarot card re uh, reader. She would get paid to travel all over South America to read people's future on these cards. And he had a deck of the tarot cards, and like, his mom had written a book about the tarot system or whatever. So Fico, the guy with the, with the skateboard tattoo on his leg, is talking about this girl that he'd have been in love with forever. She's just not like, she has like a few kids with a few different guys. And at one point she was staying at his house for a little while. And, we're, and he's just talking about like all these crazy stories. Like she at one point like had gotten very paranoid and like cut his hand with a knife. And he showed us the this car, just ridiculous. And he's like, oh yeah, this happened the other day. And like, she cut me and blood was like splattering on the wall. You know, it's, there's still some blood on the wall. You can see it like, like totally ridiculous. But I'm sure he, he's probably more of a psycho than she is. We, we roll the joint. And me at this point, I hadn't really been smoking for the past like five years, so I'm just like, I'm just gonna fake it. Just like, uh, I'm just gonna fake it, like not inhale, you know? And then uh, Fico starts to calm down. He starts to calm down at this point. He says, Me gusta quemar lugares interesantes. I like to burn joints in interesting places. And this, so this, uh, the neighborhood we're in is, I grew up in this neighborhood, so I know, I know every tree of this neighborhood, I know every step. So this guy, so I'm wondering, what interesting place is he gonna take us in my neighborhood that I don't know? And he kept saying, he says, You're not gonna know where we're going, you've never been there. Go buy some beers for my friend. Whatever, we just talked about something else and then forgot about that little my friend parentheses. I buy some beer, I put it in my backpack, and me at this point, I think like, I had like messed up my knee a little bit, like like swimming or something, but like, I, so I was limping at this point. So geographically, this neighborhood is, is on like a, a little cliff, and down the cliff is the ocean. So the cliff is like very green, it has all these like weeds and grass and stuff, and there's all these paths that they had built to put irrigation systems, because Lima is, is really a desert, nothing grows. So they have to put all these like hoses underground to keep things green. So there's all these paths that they built when they're putting these irrigation systems in. Fico starts taking us down one of these paths. And we must have been walking for 30, like 20, 30 minutes, you know, like up and down. And at this point, I'm like, dude, I've lived here forever and I never know that this like this path existed. And at one point, we're getting very close to like the ocean. And then Fico at one point goes, all right, guys, hold on. Uh, give me one of the beers. And then we're on this path, a very narrow path. And the path gets more narrow and more narrow. It's like three in the morning at this point. And then Fico goes, he says, wait right here. There's like a little, like a, like a house that somebody had built in, in like at the end of this, uh, at this path. And at this point, we're all speaking in Spanish this whole time. And then Fico goes in and in English, he's like, hey man, how's it going? Uh, uh, I brought some friends, uh, you know, you want to hang out? This guy responds in English and like, but like in an English accent or something, like a, like a very, it wasn't an American accent. I'm thinking like, well, like who lives here? Like, uh, and he didn't speak any Spanish. He spoke like seven words of Spanish. 
the first thing I'm thinking is like, what the hell is this guy doing here? Why does he li why is he like living in this like this like little hut thing like shanty hut that he built on the side of it? Like, wh why is he here? But I'm trying to be polite about it, so you know we, we spark up the joint and we talk and whatever. And me this whole time, like I'm not, I don't even think I'm really hitting the joint because I'm like, no, I want to be sober. Like this guy's gonna fucking kill us. Like, <laughs> like I'm already like, like I should have brought like, because when I was a kid, I used to walk around with a pocket knife because Fico, like I don't trust this guy at all, you know. And I'm thinking like, if he gets fucked up, like go crazy and throw us off the side of this mountain, right? So uh, hey, how's it going? What are you doing here? And he's like, well, you know, I'm from South Africa and Buru uh, Buru, just talking all this like, all this like white noise bullshit, just like not getting into why he's living on like this, this like shanty house built on the side of the mountain. Fico shines and he says, Fico was talking about like, he, he talks about how he has like superpowers, about like, like intuition and stuff, but like magical superpowers. I knew somebody was living on the side of this mountain. I was exploring this place and I found Gabriel, right? And when I first saw Gabriel, I looked into his eyes and I knew that he had been arrested for trafficking drugs. And he, he had said this like, so that Gabriel didn't have to say it. So I said, oh, so you got, so you were in jail for drugs. He says, I still sort of am. <laughs> and he had gotten caught in Peru. He had, he'd gone to jail and at one point had like, he has to go back to jail every once in a while, still do community service, but he disappeared. And he built a house on the side of this, uh, of this mountain to hide from the cops. And he can't work, he can't do anything. So he just like walks around all day, like begging food. He's just in this totally destitute situation, right? And the interesting thing about this guy is like, like I asked him if he had done drugs, he was totally clean. He had all these crazy life experiences, but he had never done drugs before, except for beer. We're talking about what it's like to live in this part of, of Lima, which is like, you're very close to the ocean. You're, you're on this mountain, very close to the ocean. My friend Nico's like, but you seen like crazy shit around here. And Gabriel, the South African guy goes, yeah, sometimes, you know, sometimes you see a rat, you know, sometimes like that. Like sometimes you see somebody fight on the beach or like that, or like drag racing on the, on the, on the road next to the beach or whatever. But you know, sometimes you can see the lights. And he said it as if it was just normal, like the lights, you know. What, what lights are you talking about? And he says, you know, like in the sky, like in the sky, you can see lights sometimes. Like what, like, like alien ships? Like, yeah, like you can see UFOs. Like if you stay here, like you look at the sky all the time. Once a week, at least once or twice a week, you'll see these lights and what the lights do. And he's going into very crazy detail about these lights. So it'll be small and then it'll come close. And then it'll divide into two and then they'll dance around and they'll go back out. And so for the whole duration of this time I'm in Peru, which is probably like, month or like a few weeks and i was talking to friends in lima and apparently a lot of people see these lights like it's not just this crazy guy when i lived in colorado i would always drive back east every summer to visit friends and family i loved that drive it was just me and 29 hours in the car and i loved it i loved the freedom of it i can't express that enough on one trip back to Colorado, I had just gone through St. Louis and I started getting tired. I, I was thinking how nice it would be to have a companion in the car. Lo and behold, as I'm driving along, I see a hitchhiker on the side of the road. And I think, well, he might make good company. He had a tie-dyed shirt. He looked, he looked like a hippie. He looked fun, like a, a fun young guy. <laughs> I don't know. I was 20 and I was living in Boulder and that seemed cool at the time. So I got off at the next exit and I turned around and I came back around and I stopped to pick him up. Up until then, I'd had really good experiences, both hitchhiking and giving rides in a New England summer town and in Boulder. It was all very safe and friendly. I slow down to pick him up and he immediately goes to open the door. And that's a huge no-no. You don't ever just open somebody's door. You wait to see if they tell you you can get in. 
So as soon as he tried to open the door, I I pressed the gas and went forward and he kind of got startled and jumped back. And then I stopped again instead of just driving away, which clearly would have made sense because he didn't know what he was doing. He did not know hitchhiker etiquette. But I stopped. I gave him a second chance. I locked the doors. I rolled down the window halfway and I said, "Um, where are you going? And he said, oh, I noticed you have Colorado plates. Are you going to Colorado? And I said, no, no, no. Where are you going? And he's like, oh, well, I'm trying to get to the rainbow gathering up in Idaho. And I was like, well, I'm going west. I can give you a ride as far as Denver. And then you can go up north to Idaho from there. And he seemed a little reluctant, but it's a ride, take it or leave it. And he decided to take it. So he walks away and he comes back with three cardboard boxes all wrapped in duct tape and a big plastic bucket (laughs) wrapped in duct tape and a dog and a sleeping bag. And I was just like, okay, well, you can just put all that in the back. Um, The dog too, because I have a cat. So he loads it up in the back and then he gets in the front And my cat, who's sitting on my lap, immediately reacts to him with an arched back. She looks like a Halloween cat, poofs up and hisses in a a sound I've never heard before. She has never reacted to anybody ever like this. And I'm just like, oh shit. But he's in my car now, all loaded in. And I'm, I feel compelled to go. I was thinking he was a peer. I was thinking I was picking up a 20 year old and he was probably in his late forties or fifties. His hands are really gnarled and, and leathery and his face is really leathery and probably worked, had a really hard life, probably did a lot of drugs. But when he said that he was going to the rainbow gathering, I was intrigued. I'd heard a lot about it and I thought, this is great. I'll ask him lots of questions and find out all about what it's like at a rainbow gathering. It's a little bit like Burning Man. It's a commune basically, but it's a movable feast. (laughs) It's the rainbow family. It's an unorganized group, but somehow they organize it every year they meet in a state park. And in 2001, I think it was, it was in Idaho. Drum circles. You get the idea. It smells like B.O. and patchouli. Speaking of which, he stinks. He smells like B.O., but also he just smells wrong. And it was the middle of July and he had been standing out there hitchhiking. So we start driving. And I don't know his name. He told me his name. I don't remember it. I think I blanked that part out because it was a little bit, I was, what, what is that? Like distress, amnesia. I just made that up. The first thing he says to me is that he knows a northern route. And I said, well, where I'm going, I take I-70 all the way. And that's where we're going. If you want to get out, be my guest. Doesn't want to get out. Mentions the northern route a couple other times. It's getting annoying. Starts talking about his girlfriend, how he's going to meet her at the rainbow gathering. So his second suggestion is that he needs to take a shower and he knows of some hot springs up on a northern route up north that he, we could go to because we could both go up there and bathe. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yes, you need a shower, but gross, I don't want to go bathe with you in hot springs. That sounds like my worst nightmare. He keeps talking about his girlfriend, but I'm starting to doubt the existence of her. And then I wonder, well, what's in his boxes? Because what if he cut up his girlfriend and that's what's in his boxes and bucket? So I ask him, what's in your boxes? And he says that he's an organic blueberry farmer from Florida and that those are all frozen blueberries in his boxes and that he's been hitching rides 
for two days now from Florida, and he really needs to get to Idaho before his blueberries melt. And he really needs me to take the northern route so he can get up there. And I wanted to believe that he had blueberries. I didn't want to think that it was his girlfriend cut up in a bo- in those boxes. But I settled in the middle, and I figured they were probably just drugs. Then he starts saying, if I get tired, he said, don't worry, you can go in the back and sleep. I have a sleeping bag and I'll drive. <laughs> and, and I said, I don't get tired, is what I said. And then I got really nervous and I was like, oh my God, this guy either wants to kill me or steal my car to go to the northern route. So now it's starting to get dark and we've been in the car for like six hours or something. He says, well, if you want to stop, we can get a motel room. I'll split it with you, but it has to be cheap because I don't have that much money. So I said to him again, um, oh, it's okay. I don't, I don't get tired. But I was clearly tired. I was so tired and I was scared. I had a death grip on the steering wheel. I was so uncomfortable and thinking of ways to get him out of my car. Like, well, I could just wait till we get it to a gas station. And when he's going pee, I could just lift his dog out of the back and his boxes and his bucket and his sleeping bag and just dump it at the gas station and just drive off. And his dog, who was like this little kind of mangy bulldog, solid, smelly dog. But I didn't want anything to happen to it. Like if I drove off and then it ran out to the highway that would be bad and we did we stopped at a gas station and he got back in the car and we away we went I felt like I was a hostage but kind of by choice I didn't know what else to do the thing that keeps me calm is knowing that I have a big heart-shaped rock under my seat and it's huge it's it's I can grab it with my fist and it's it's a weapon has a very sharp point and I think about it a lot as he's talking. I'm like, well, if anything happens, I'm going to grab it and I'm going to bludgeon his face. I keep thinking about ways to get him out of the car, probably about 12 hours of driving in fear. So finally, the sun starts to come up. It's it's a new day and we're arriving around Denver and I'm going to have to go up to Boulder and I don't want him anywhere near me anymore. So I pull off to the side of the road right before we get to Denver and I say okay, you have to get out now. And he's annoyed. He tries to make me feel bad about his blueberries melting. And I'm like, how about thank you? I just drove your crazy ass for 800 miles. How about thanks for that? He gets out and he gets his duct tape cardboard boxes out and his bucket and his dog and his sleeping bag. And I drive away. And there was so much tension for the past 12 hours and I had to let the tension out and I just started screaming just over and over again. I just lost my voice screaming. Hot tips. Mm, Hot tips. Call it deja vu, but in each lifetime, moments occur where something clicks and our souls recall a feeling, a connection to a thought, a place, or an experience. Going forward in your life, become more aware of how people or things affect you. If it runs deep, it is probably from another lifetime. We all get feelings that something seems really familiar. Start paying attention to these glimpses of your past lives resurfacing in this one and build upon the layers of your existence. This will bring you more clarity, purpose, and meaning as to why you are here and what healing needs to occur for your evolution. 
This episode's hot tip is brought to you by Randy Marks, a spiritual instructor out of Austin, Texas at Align Mind and Body Yoga. To hear some of her meditations, check her out at www.randymarks.com or find her on SoundCloud. That's R-A-N-D-I-M-A-R-K-S. Can I follow you? You've just heard Michael Silverstein, Chris Mellas, Buddy Quaid, and Stephanie Hafer. Special thanks to Marielle Quaid, Alex and Noel Taylor, JJ Hillwood, Joe Kellner, Natasha Sakoto, Carlos Sanchez, and Nick Melas. The music you heard in this episode was a collaboration by Sam Omacheveria and Stephanie Hafer from their concept album, The Red Light Record. Inspired to enable listeners to communicate important messages to strangers via their car stereo. If you'd like to learn more about it or pitch us a story, email us at ripplepuddle at gmail.com or leave us a message on our tip line, 313-389-6013. Ripple Puddle is produced by Carla Taylor. Theme music by Stephanie Hafer. Hot tips theme by Carla Taylor and broke for free. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. It keeps iTunes happy, which pushes us to the top of the list, which in turn makes us happy and inspired to create more episodes. Here's a teaser for the upcoming episode. Thank you very much. Flight 447 departing for Amsterdam is now ready for boarding. Traffic and weather on the 7s. It's 447. Expect heavy delays towards north and eastbound in the Holland Tunnel. So sorry for the delay, Mr. Tunnel. It'll be just a few more minutes until we have your table. Will your wife still be joining us this evening? In a few minutes, Elle will come to the table to give her report. I'm sorry, Miss Tanel. I forgot to bring it in because I fell off my bike and hurt my appendix. Dang, girl. Are you my appendix? Because I don't understand how you work, but this feeling in my stomach makes me want to take you out. Hey, there's no toilet paper in this bathroom. Dude, I'll go check the ladies. Does this dress make me look... Grande half-calf double skinny latte, please. You yell at me, tell me I'm making you pronounce like latte and spill your coffee in my cap. This is my job. I take seriously. Get out! Thank you for calling Apple. A representative will be right with you. Yeah, I'm having a problem with my MacBook. It hasn't worked right ever since Steve Jobs died. Yeah, can I get an order of mac and cheese with a side of apples? Table two, order up! Mmm, this is so good. I want seconds. Alrighty, here's your appointment reminder card. We'll see you May 2nd at 9 a.m. Join us for our next episode, Thank You Very Much, where we try to make order out of chaos. This and much more.